How the FTC's latest guidance on COPPA fails YouTube content creators, but not the FTC. Hello and welcome to a bonus second episode of Virtual Legality Today. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And I don't know who among you asked for a second bonus episode of Virtual Legality, but whoever did wound up ringing the ears of our friends at the Federal Trade Commission who put out today, I believe their first statement on quote-unquote guidance for YouTube channel quote-unquote owners in respect of whether their content is directed to children. The question that has been at the tip of the tongue and at the top of every YouTube content creator's minds that I have seen in my comments or elsewise on social media. And they have put together a document here that I'm going to be honest. You know, I'm cynical. I'm a corporate lawyer. I've dealt with regulatory agencies for a long period of time and for much of my life. And I thought, hey, You know, maybe because the Federal Trade Commission and YouTube are somewhat at odds here and they're kind of sniping at each other as to who's responsible for this whole mess, maybe this document would actually have some useful, actionable intelligence for people to operate under if they're going to put up their favorite cat video on YouTube or what have you. Unfortunately, my cynicism should have won the day as this statement does absolutely nothing If you've already listened to this series on virtual legality, you know much of what is discussed here. They actually skip some of the important questions that we've raised in respect of the weak case they have against content creators, most notably never even addressing the concept that someone might not consider themselves a website operator if they only upload videos on YouTube and otherwise participate in a service arrangement where Google can change the terms of service, the services they provide, the data they collect, and everything else at the drop of a hat, as has been shown with their change in terms of service coming December 10th. They don't even address that question in this statement, instead skipping it, assuming it is a fait accompli, as you would expect the agency to do because they are claiming it as that fait accompli. So let's take a look at their actual statement. We're going to read the thing. I'm going to give my commentary as we go through it. But know this, in terms of whether or not they actually tell you what you can and cannot do with respect to your videos, what boxes you can and cannot check, this document is almost entirely useless. Now, I will tell you from my perspective as a lawyer, in some respects, that's almost mandatory for anybody that's going out there with a document like this. This is by an individual by the name of Kristen Cohen. I don't know if they are counsel or if they have a legal background or not, but especially if they don't, but also if they do, one of the things that you tell people, you tell clients, you tell even your in-house counsel is you can't go give legal advice to people, right? So If you go into this document and say, you should hit this box, and we haven't anticipated every possible scenario in which that box shouldn't be hit by someone that's reading this document, if they go and hit that box, we might have legal liability. We might lose the ability to prosecute them and other bad things. So you don't go out there with very specific advice if you've got a public-facing document like this. That being said, it is unfortunately of no help to anyone. So let's read through. Let's talk about what the Federal Trade Commission has done. And hopefully, if you've been following this series in virtual legality, a lot of this at the front end especially isn't much of a surprise to you. Under COPPA, how do I know if my channel is directed to children? Since the FTC and New York Attorney General announced their September 2019 settlement with YouTube for violations of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act rule, we've heard the question from channel owners, sometimes called content creators. Note that little sleight of hand, by the way, in case you don't feel like you are a channel owner 
uh, at YouTube. And I think ownership is an interesting concept in and of itself, although it doesn't necessarily dovetail with operation as required under COPPA. That, hey, yeah, you consider yourself a content creator. We're going to call you channel owner as much as possible here in the headline, in this sentence, so that we can start to try to establish that you are an operator of a website, regardless of the fact that you can't control anything that website does. If you are a channel owner who shares content on user-generated platforms like YouTube, read on for FTC staff guidance about the applicability of the COPPA rule and how those covered by the rule can comply with its requirements. The FTC action against YouTube and Google. The lawsuit against YouTube and Google alleged that the companies illegally collected personal information from children in violation of COPPA. According to the complaint, the companies collected that information from viewers of child-directed YouTube channels in the form of persistent identifiers that track users across the internet, but didn't notify parents and get their consent. To settle the case, YouTube and Google agreed to create a mechanism so that channel owners can designate when the videos they upload to YouTube are, to use the words of COPPA, directed to children. Although note here that YouTube again kind of elides all of this actually useful, efficient legal language. Like, hey, what does it even mean when I click for kids or not for kids? We understand because you're listening to virtual legality, you're watching this video, that this whole thing is designed to comply with COPPA, but YouTube hides the ball even there. Very similarly to, if you watch this video series, the fact that they hid the ball on the difference between behavioral advertising and contextual advertising by using the term interest-based ads, which to my mind, as a layperson not invested in the advertising community or uh, verbosity, looked at that phrase and said, hey, I don't know whether that means behavioral or contextual, so I don't know what that box does until I read some of the FTC stuff. So yes, YouTube likes to play with words and for kids does not necessarily mean directed to children. And that's one of the issues here. And it's one of the ways that the FTC is kind of slightly ever so subtly sniping at YouTube and this position that they have found themselves in with the army of YouTube content creators putting all these comments up on the COPA request for comments. The purpose of this requirement is to make sure that both YouTube and channel owners are complying with the law. A COPA recap. That provision of the settlement has raised questions among content creators about how to determine if what they upload to YouTube or other platforms is, quote unquote, directed to children. The answer requires a brief summary of some key COPPA provisions. Passed by Congress in 1998, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act is a federal law that protects the privacy of children under 13. COPPA's foundational principle is one that most people can agree on. Parents, not kids, companies, platforms, or content creators, should be in control when it comes to information collected from children online. By the way, content creators are never at all in this ecosystem responsible for the collection of data. I don't know about you, but we didn't get to choose exactly how YouTube is collecting data, what data it's collecting, or who is used uh, for a persistent identifier or otherwise. So again, they're alighting whose responsibility this is because they absolutely want to reserve the right to bring an action against content creators should the need arise. The FTC enforces the law through the COPPA rule. In general, COPPA requires operators of commercial websites and online services that are directed to children to provide notice and obtain verifiable parental consent before they collect personal information from kids under 13. Note again, reference to commercial websites because COPPA does not apply to non-commercial websites. And if you're going to apply this to content creators as channel owners, that commerciality becomes a very, very important point. A lot of the questions that have been asked of me is, 
Is my demonetized channel or channel that never even came close to monetization, is it subject to COPPA? Am I going to get in trouble if I somehow mislabel my channel? I can't answer that question with specificity because you could be using your videos to hawk your wares and otherwise come under a commercial ambit. But in general, if there is no functional way for you to make money off of your channel, you can't be deemed commercial as much as the FTC might like it to be different. The COPPA rule defines personal information to include obvious things like a child's first and last name or home address, but that's not all. Under COPPA, personal information also covers what are called persistent identifiers, behind-the-scenes code that recognizes a user over time and across different sites or online services. That could be an IP address or a cookie when it's used to serve targeted ads. Keep in mind that an operator also might be collecting personal information through an open common field on its site or service that allows a user under 13 to make personal information publicly available. For example, think of a comment like this on a child-directed site. My name is Mary Jones from Springfield. I love this video. Um, right. So that's an interesting point here. One of the things that came up in the discussion of the 2013 amended rules is exactly what the phraseology should be about general comment fields and whether or not this should apply as collection of things from kids. And one of the things that YouTube has done, as you know, if you follow this series or if you've just followed the issue in general, is turned off all comments and all engagements on anything that is labeled as for kids. Now, an interesting thing here is, and maybe you can tell me this in the comments to this video, I don't believe anybody can comment on a video unless they're using an account. And, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And if you are using an account, you're automatically stated to be over the age of 13. So again, it would appear that YouTube is being overzealous in certain of these things in order to address issues that are unrelated to COPPA, but at least adjacent enough that they can all fall under the same umbrella and maybe YouTube can get away with it. Because YouTube had any number of difficulties with problematic child content, with problematic comments, and with problematic content providers in this space over the summer and in the past few years. So I think what you see is YouTube responding to a lot of things all at once, and it all unfortunately gets wrapped into this question. And I don't think the FTC helps by saying, also be wary of open comment fields when at bare minimum, YouTube does require an account holder to be 13 plus. How COPPA applies to channel owners. Now, maybe you were hoping that this paragraph would be about whether or not you're an operator and having a deep dive discussion over whether COPPA actually applies to you. No, it doesn't do that. It just assumes its premise. So how does COPPA apply to channel owners who upload their content to YouTube or another third-party platform? COPPA applies in the same way it would if the channel owner had its own website. Really? Really, FTC? Really, Federal Trade Commission? You mean to tell me that this rule, this act that requires me to do things like give notice on the website and to otherwise get parental consent from the data that I'm collecting, which actually doesn't ever reach me, means that it's the same as if I had my own website and I was determining myself what data to collect, what plugins to put into that website, what operations to run. I have my doubts on this, but for purposes of this statement, let's assume their premise with them and assume that content creators are operators. This is not an issue that has been litigated to its full extent. This is not an issue that a judge has opined on. This is a raw assertion made by the FTC in their 2013 COPPA rules, and it is one of the fundamental weaknesses in their claim, as identify in my previous video on the weaknesses of the FTC case in general. If a channel owner uploads content to a platform like YouTube, the channel might meet the definition of a website or online service covered by COPPA, depending on the nature of the content and the information collected. Here's the first instance, really, of them kind of playing both sides here. It might. 
We're not going to say anything definitive here. We're going to talk a little bit about the content and the nature of the content, but keep in mind, keep track. If you've got a drinking game you like to play at home, drink for every time they say something that I would consider weasel wording or weasel words that instead of saying something definitive, essentially reserves the right to change your mind later on. Your channel might meet the definition depending on a whole lot of stuff. If the content is directed to children and if the channel owner or someone on its behalf, for example, an ad network, collects personal information from viewers of that content, for example, through a persistent identifier that tracks a user to serve interest-based ads, the channel is covered by COPPA. Now, again, what they mean to say here, and I don't know why they don't say it in this statement because this is actually specifically directed at YouTube content creators, is, hey, YouTube is that person acting on your behalf. That is our assertion here. I don't know why they don't tie up that in a bow in this paragraph, but it also makes it more ambiguous than it needs to be. So they say, hey, if you have someone else on your behalf collecting data, it doesn't have to be limited to YouTube. If somehow you hired another service to kind of crawl over your site on YouTube and get some data somehow, that would also be a potential violation if you otherwise turned off all your YouTube buttons. But in this particular instance, they're talking about YouTube acting as someone on your behalf, even though you're all entirely in the same ecosystem and YouTube is entirely in control of what it is or is not collecting. Once COPPA applies... The operator must provide notice, obtain verifiable parental consent, and meet COPPA's other requirements. As we said at the top of this video, they don't establish that you're the operator. They just assume it for this purpose. I think YouTube is very clearly the operator of its own website. But moving on. For information on how to comply with COPPA, please visit the FTC's COPPA page for our six-step compliance plan for your business, which is a great document. It's very interesting. We covered in yesterday's video about how YouTube should be doing more to help. And that included age gates, that included notice, that included gathering of parental consent, and other things that potentially, if you are in this bucket, you could do, but would require YouTube's help to ultimately get you compliant enough to have them collect these persistent identifiers. How channel owners can determine if their content is directed to children. That's why we're all here, right? Under COPPA, there is no one-size-fits-all answer and about what makes a site directed to children. Okay. There's no one-size-fits-all answer about what makes a site directed to children. So we're all going to tell you all this stuff, but you can't take any of it definitively. You can't assume any of it's accurate. You can't assume we won't change our mind in the future. There's no definitive answer. But we can offer some guidance. All right, that sounds helpful. To be clear, your content isn't considered directed to children just because some children may see it. I mean, God, I hope not. Even in the most panicked comments I've received on my videos, I haven't gotten anybody that has said, hey, this violent, swear-filled adult video happened to have somebody that was six years old walk by and see it. Am I done? I don't think anybody assumes that. This is what we might call a straw man. Hey, just so we're clear, if a kid just wanders by and sees your video or accidentally clicks on it, if it's just one kid, that doesn't make your channel directed to children. I hope you're okay with that. Thanks, FTC. However, if your intended audience is kids under 13, your intended audience, you are covered by COPPA and have to honor the rules requirements. The rule sets out additional factors the FTC will consider in determining whether your content is child-directed. We've been over these, right? Subject matter, visuals, animated characters, music, agent models, child celebrities, language, whether advertising promotes your channel on a site directed to children and competent and reliable empirical evidence about the age of the audience. Just so we're clear here, that bullet point adds on the little extra factor that says, hey, even if you didn't direct it at children, even if it doesn't contain any of this stuff, 
It looks adult as all get out. If we can find a data service or some other way to figure out that actually 70% of your audience is under the age of 13, then your channel will be deemed directed to children, even if it was never your intent, which I think presents all sorts of statutory problems, but they are reserving that right to say, hey, if it actually is attractive to kids, then we can hold you to having directed it to kids. The determination of whether content is child-directed will be clearer in some contexts than in others, but we can share some general rules of thumb. First, unless you are affirmatively targeting kids, there are many subject matter categories where you don't have to worry about COPPA. Now that sounds like a definitive statement. You don't have to worry about COPPA. For example, if your videos are about traditionally adult activities like employment, finances, politics, home ownership, home improvement, or travel, you're probably not covered unless your content is geared towards kids. Wait, didn't you just say I don't have to worry about COPPA? And then the next sentence that gives your examples about the things I don't have to worry about finishes with, you're probably not covered. Oh, FTC, this isn't giving me the safety feeling that I had hoped for from this guidance. No, in fact, it isn't giving it at all. They're reserving the right to say, hey, even if you've got a home improvement channel, maybe it's directed at kids. Hey, that finance channel that you have, maybe you figured out a way to have it be directed to kids so that they just love it. It's got piggy banks. It's got cartoons. I don't know what else is in it, but it's actually geared towards kids. So you are otherwise in trouble. The same would be true for videos aimed at high school or college students. On the other hand, if your content includes traditional children's pastimes or activities, like video games maybe, it may be child-directed. Of course, they're not actually going and definitively saying traditional child's, children's pastimes or activities are child-directed. They're saying they may be child-directed. So on the one hand, finances, you're probably not covered. If you cover checkers or video games or other children's pastimes or activities, you may be child-directed. Obviously, a lot of guidance here. I hope you are all taking notes because this is giving just very clear contours about what you can and can't upload, what you can and can't check the box on. Very helpful from the FTC so far. For example, the FTC recently determined that an online dress-up game was child-directed. And I looked at this case recently uh, when they actually linked it in this uh, description. It isn't terribly helpful. It isn't terribly illuminating for people that are uploading YouTube's uh, videos. Second, just because your video has bright colors or animated characters doesn't mean you're automatically covered by COPPA. While many animated shows are directed to kids, the FTC recognizes that there can be animated programming that appeals to any, everyone. Any contours on that, FTC? Any specifics about what you mean by something that appeals to kids versus something that can appeal to everyone? How about The Simpsons? Do we have thoughts on things like The Simpsons? I mean, without even bringing in the entirety of Japanese anime and all that good stuff, just in general, kind of Fox primetime programming that has some lasciviousness, maybe has some edgy humor. Is that for everyone? Is that for kids because kids can also really like Bart and his antics? I don't know. And neither does the FTC. And the purpose of a statement like this is to look like they're providing guidance, to maybe poke YouTube a little bit that YouTube isn't doing enough to provide their people guidance. So the FTC is going to step in as the good guys. But ultimately, it doesn't say anything. Finances? Probably not. Children's pastimes? Maybe. Animated stuff? Well, it can appeal to everyone. Good luck. Third, the complaint in the YouTube case, the one against YouTube made by the FTC in the state of New York, 
offers some examples of channels the FTC considered to be directed to children. This is what they brought up in that big list in the middle of that complaint. Might be a video I do next week just to talk about those specific channels and what was called out by the FTC. I don't find it incredibly illuminating insofar as it doesn't limit their authority or their ability to make your life miserable, but it does give examples of where they might start, the things they would consider as the really bad actors in this specific sphere. For example, many content creators explicitly stated in the about section of their YouTube channel that their intended audience was children under 13. Okay, that is definitive guidance, right? And I think this is good guidance. If your about section says it's for kids under 13, yeah, I'd probably go ahead and click the four kids button. I think that's a fairly limited subset of YouTube content creators. But if you actually self-identify as aimed at that group, yeah, I think it's wise to hit that button because you are in fact aimed at that group. Obviously, that's not legal advice. We don't give legal advice in virtual legality because we can't speak about your specific instances, but neither is this legal advice from the FTC. It just goes so far as to say, hey, if you put that in the about page, we're going to take note of that. Other channels made similar statements in communications with YouTube. Okay, so if you are communicating with YouTube, no matter how you might think that communication should be treated, don't say things like, I intend my channel to be directed at kids if you're not going to hit the directed to kids button. If you say those kinds of things to YouTube, the FTC can find out. It might have to investigate YouTube again, but it can find out and it will use that to establish that you intended your channel for children. In addition, many of the channels featured popular animated children's programs or showed kids playing with toys or participating in other child-oriented activities. Some of the channel's owners also enabled settings that made their content appear when users searched for the names of popular toys or animated characters. Want to see the FTC's analysis in context? Read those pages. That's not actually analysis that they provide in those pages. It's just a list of channels that they view as having been directed at kids. It's, it's not analysis, but it can be somewhat educational as to what they were looking at at the time of that complaint. Finally, if you've applied the factors listed in the COPPA rule, not that they actually tell you how to apply them or how they might apply them, and still wonder if your content is directed to children, it might help to consider how others view your content and content similar to yours. Has your channel been reviewed on sites that evaluate content for kids? Is your channel or channels like yours mentioned in blogs for parents of young children or in media articles about child-directed content? Have you surveyed your users or is there other empirical evidence about the age of your audience? Have you gone across the internet and figured out what people are saying about your content? And this is especially difficult for people that don't hit some kind of de minimis threshold of subscribers and viewership, right? I mean, Hoglaw for the longest time, we're growing now a little bit, but for the longest time, there was very few people that were following the channel, that were listening to these episodes and that were otherwise commenting on them. I don't think anybody would have covered it on the internet proper. I don't know that anybody would have said anything, but if they did... I don't know that I would have known about it. And so this is one of those areas where the FTC is gathering even more authority than we might otherwise think that they would have, which is, hey, not only is it how you direct it, not only is it competent empirical evidence, we can also bring in how third parties view you. So let's just say, against all odds, your channel gets found out to be loved by some reviewer of ch children's sites, even though you don't think you're making anything for children, and even though children aren't actually interested in your website or your channel or anywhere else, the FTC says, hey, maybe we can use the fact that you were reviewed by a third-party site against you. I mean, that's a heck of a thing. I guess that can be considered broadly guidance, but it's bad guidance. This is a heck of an authority grab by the FTC that basically says, hey, 
Here's some guidance. We don't know. Probably not. Maybe. Can be. Did you list that you're aimed at under 13? We can give that definitively. And how do others view your content? You have to take all those things into account. Guess what we will think about them. Guess whether we will think about them so badly that we will then decide in our prosecutorial judgment to sue you. And then you have to determine whether or not we can actually invoke significant penalties against you. Because they actually do get to the $42,000 question here, which is that the rule allows for civil penalties of up to $42,530 per violation and going up whenever it's amended. But the FTC considers a number of factors in determining the appropriate amount including a company's financial condition and the impact a penalty could have on its ability to stay in business. Interesting use of the word company there, right? Hoaglaw is a company. Hoaglaw runs our YouTube channel, but we have a number of content creators that have commented on our videos that aren't necessarily working through an entity, aren't necessarily working through a company, maybe won't be monetized at all. But ultimately, when they say, hey, it can be up to 42,000, but we're going to take into account a whole bunch of other stuff, it's essentially on faith. Just like the rest of this statement, it's like, okay, so $42,000 is the right number. Thanks, FTC. But what number can you actually impose on me who makes X amount of dollars per month? Well, it's up to them. They can determine whether it would knock you out of business or not. They can determine whether or not you're a bad actor. They can decide whether they don't like you going forward into the future. And you might think this statement could have been used to assuage those fears. This statement does nothing of the sort. In fact, in the final sentence here, as part of that assuaging, they say, while Google and YouTube did pay $170 million, you don't have to worry about numbers like that. In another COPPA case settled this year, the operator paid a total civil penalty of only $35,000. That sounds good, right? YouTube content creators, $35,000. No big deal. So that's not terribly comforting if you get to the end of this FTC document. Then they say, aren't they looking at the copper rule? And they are through December 9th, which we've talked about on this channel. And where can we go for more information? You can go to their sites. You can also go to virtual legality. We have digested. We have looked. We have analyzed. We continue to comment on all of this. Hopefully not every day next week like we've done this week because we do have other things in virtual legality we'd like to cover. But if you don't love Hogue Law, if you don't love virtual legality, check out other places that are commenting on this on YouTube and elsewhere. There is a lot a lot of issues that the FTC has to deal with here, that YouTube has to deal with here. There is blame enough to go around from both sides. What this document ultimately represents is a kind of sniping action that the FTC would like to get out in front of YouTube and look like they're trying to help content creators even more than YouTube is. And to some extent, they're not wrong because YouTube's done a fairly terrible job at communicating with its creators. But ultimately, by having this document, and saying nothing. They do very, very little to provide safety, to provide comfort, and to end the panic that I'm seeing go around the internet. This has been the second virtual legality for today. If you like this, we're obviously talking about COPPA, the FTC, and YouTube all the time in this channel as of right now. Please like, please subscribe, please tell your friends, please share it around. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality, whenever that might be. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.